Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru, or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Before we dive in, I'd just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionBee. They have helped over 70,000 customers be pension confident by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. They also have a great Sharia compliant pension option as well, which is why we personally really like them. And you can check out a review of their offering on the Sharia side on our website. So... For those of you who, for whom this is the first time, we do these weekly tafsirs and uh, we were doing them for quite a while actually, before Ramadan. And then I got a little bit lazy and stopped doing these uh, tafsirs. So inshallah, we're going to get back on it. So inshallah, without further ado, I'll dive in and then I'll explain a little bit more about what we cover in these things. Many thanks for all of you for joining. This is a weekly tafsir that we're inshallah restarting now. It'll be alternating between me and Mufti Bilal Umarji and perhaps even Khizr, two new joiners to the team. And the idea behind this tafsir session, or even really it should be called a tadabbur session, is to spend about 15-20 minutes to talk about topics related to Islamic finance and investing that run throughout the Quran. So whenever the Quran talks about money or personal finances, things to do with careers, things to do with investments, inheritance, and questions like that, we pick out those verses and we reflect on them and we give tafsir behind them. And the thinking behind that is that the kind of topics we talk about in Islamic Finance Guru are the kind of topics where if you spend too much time focused on those subjects, then you can wear away your iman, right? And so the idea is to kind of recalibrate and reset. So without further ado, let's make a start. So the verses for today are from Surah An-Nisa, and they are talking about inheritance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, لِلْرِجَالِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ وَلِلنِّسَاءِ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا تَرَكَ الْوَالِدَانِ وَالْأَقْرَبُونَ مِّمَّا قَلَّ مِنْهُ أَوْ كَثُرْ نَصِيبًا مَّفْرُوضًا 
For men, there is a share in what their parents and close relatives leave. And for women, there is a share in what their parents and close relatives leave. Whether it is little or much, these are obligatory shares. So these are shares that you absolutely must give. And so the story is that one of the Sahaba, he died and he left behind two daughters and a son and his wife as inheritors. And unfortunately, because the custom of Arabia at the time was basically that if the husband dies or the man dies, then the males of that family will actually take over the entire estate. So two of his cousins from the father's side came and took over the whole property and took it into their possession. And so because of this incredibly difficult situation where now you've, you know, this mother has been left with uh, small children to look after uh, and she has no means of doing that, uh, she came to the Prophet. And then as a result of that, these verses were revealed, explaining very, very clearly in the Quran that men should have a share in whatever their close relatives and their parents leave behind. And for women as well, there is a share. And these are obligatory shares. These aren't things that are negotiable or you know things that you can kind of uh, mess around with. These are things that you absolutely must give. And the interesting thing here is, you know, when people talk about Islamic inheritance, uh, particularly in the UK, but also in the West generally, the first thing you think about when it comes to Islamic inheritance is, oh, this is, you know, is, don't, don't women get less than men? Um, isn't this like incredibly unfair? What, what's going on there? And the context when these verses were revealed, you know, it's deeply ironic in that the verses were revealed actually to help Muslim women, actually to help people get the right inheritance and the right money they needed to actually survive. So the context is completely, completely different. And I guess it's probably helpful at this point to give like a, you know, really brief bit of a understanding on how one should go about thinking about this differential between the inheritance. These aren't detailed thoughts, but these are hopefully some thoughts that can help at least, you know, give some guidance in terms of how, you know, if you have a conversation on the street about this topic, how you could potentially deal with it. The first and most important things to say are that in Islamic law, this is a all-encompassing code of law and you can't take in things in isolation, you can't take inheritance in isolation and leave the other obligations out there. So in, in Islamic law, if the obligation is on the male of the family or the males of the family to look after and be responsible for the females of the family when it comes to clothing them and feeding them and looking after them and making sure that you know the, the daughters get married, etc, etc. When there's that whole obligation and responsibility it is unfair. It doesn't make sense from a moral perspective to isolate that duty with the requirements when it comes to inheritance. So that's the first thing. In a nutshell, Islam requires that the males of a family look after and are responsible for the females. So in the case of a girl, when she's born, she's the responsibility of her father. Um, when she grows up and she gets married, uh, she's the responsibility and you know she needs to be looked after by her husband. And then after that, if the husband passes away, then her sons, if they're balir or uh, her brothers or her father, once again, would need to look after her. And the 
mother or the daughter or the girl, on the other hand, does not have any legal responsibility where she needs to give up her assets to look after the household or even, frankly, you know, feed herself. And so from an economic perspective, in the interesting thing here is that the if someone is working, if like, for example, my wife works, she actually can save up a lot more money over a long period of time. Whereas for myself, if I need to make sure that on my monthly income, I need to be spending that, then you can understand why actually in the long run, all of these things typically end up balancing out. And also, very interestingly, in if you look at Islamic inheritance law, it isn't actually the case that in all situations, females are directly worse off than men. There are many situations where actually there is parity or the female may take more than the male can as well. And so it's definitely not a blanket rule and it's definitely not a blanket requirements. So that's really the first observation or the first kind of tadabbur or reflection. And, you know, I invite you all to have a bit of a think around this as well. You know, these sessions are to provoke thought, right? And to really reflect on the Quran, which is what we're commanded to do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he goes on and he says, وَإِذَا حَضَرَ الْقِسْمَةَ أُولُو الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينُ فَارْزُقُوهُمْ مِّنْهُ وَقُولُوا لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا If non-inheriting relatives, orphans or the needy are present at the time of distribution, offer them a small provision from it and speak to them kindly. So the Quran is immediately saying that you should be giving to those who are the closest to you first, and then the orphans and the needy. It's telling you, in other words, to give to people order of your responsibility to them, right? You know, this is a verse in the Quran which I find fascinating because you read it in the first instance. If you read it in the first instance, you may not necessarily pick up the point, but when you reflect on it, you realize that the Quran is actually giving you a ranking order. You start with Ulul Qurba, those who are actually your relatives, Wal Yatama, Wal Masakin, and those who are orphans, and then the needy, and it's ranking them in terms of your responsibility to them. And some scholars say that these verses still apply. Others say that these particular verses about you know being present and giving them a share it has been abrogated. But regardless, the broader point is that there's an injunction in the Quran to have kindness at heart and to have you know being generous and to look after people at, at heart when it comes to giving your inheritance. There's a great hadith about this um, when, um, let me just pull it up. One of the Sahaba, he was dying and he asked Prophet ﷺ what he should be doing in terms of his inheritance. And uh, he wanted to actually give away all of his inheritance to charity. And Prophet ﷺ, he said, don't do that. Your family have a right upon your wealth and you should make sure that you look after your family. And so the Sahabi, he, you know, he was really keen to give away you know, his wealth and he was a very, very generous man. And ultimately, you know, there was a bit of back and forth and Prophet ﷺ, he ultimately 
ultimately said that the most that you should give away is thuluth, is one third, and even that is a lot. A thuluthu kathir, and your family have a greater responsibility or greater right upon you than other people. So there's a few, I guess, lessons or a few observations that can be drawn. The first is that, you know, it isn't a bad thing if you just give all of your money to your family as well. Um, that would be in the spirit of what Prophet said. But at the same time, the example of the Sahaba is a powerful one as well, which is that they wanted to give all of their wealth away and they didn't particularly care about their families in that sense because for them, they understood that what really mattered was the Akhirah. And then the other, I guess, the balance you know, comes when you look at what the Prophet he said. He said, if you want to give, then give up to a third. But even that is a large, chunky amount. So feel free to give less than that as well. And now like drawing back, okay, so we've been talking about inheritance and how much or if whether or not we should be giving anything to charity, etc, etc. But now um, thinking about the modern context, you know, we have a lot of charities these days that in the Muslim sector in particular are very, very hand to mouth. And what I mean by that is it's a constant hustle, it's a constant struggle to try and raise the money, the charitable money that you need to make sure that the in whole enterprise of the charity is successful. It pays the, the wages for all of the charity employees and also there's enough left over to actually give in charity and, and then you know you start on the whole treadmill once again. And it doesn't really help, quite frankly, if you've got hundreds of charities out there who are replicating and duplicating the marketing cost and the infrastructure that is needed to deliver the aid as well because then you need to somehow you know in that charity that is collected you now need to feed all of that infrastructure and all of those people that are are operationalizing that charity you can see that there's a big challenge and the other big challenge is that there's no long-term money coming in now if you contrast that with something like the church of england which has an endowment of about eight billion pounds so you know the church of england gets even if it just secures a 5% income every single year just from things like you know rent then the church of england is looking at something like 500 million pounds coming in every single year as income without having to lift a single hand in fundraising and that's a pretty good place to be so how do we get into that place the way we get into that place is by giving charities access to capital that is passive patient long-term waqf type capital and on this there's probably a few thoughts the first is that you know this is one for charities or people involved in charities they should be very keen to look at how do we actually build up our long-term capital in our organizations and it's very hard to do because you know you're because you're in this kind of rat race as a charity and a struggle to just stay afloat every year and your metrics that you're measured by and success is measured by is very short term it's very difficult to plan for the long term in many ways you know it's a bit like politicians where they're in for the short term so they don't particularly care about the long term but the long-term success of the ummah and the long-term success of that charity is linked to having a focus on the long term and thinking about okay i know it's not the most exciting of things to appeal for an instant emergency appeal is much more exciting to do but appealing for a waqf or appealing for something where you are collecting up money to a charity's you know long-term trust funds is a way to translate you know awqaf 
that's going to be the thing that actually means a charity is much more sustainable long term. And why am I talking about this right now? Well, because inheritance and wills is a really effective way of doing that. Because, you know, um, if you uh, leave money for a charity or a percentage of your inheritance, you leave that for a charity, then a charity, you know, that's not immediate money. And so when a charity ultimately gets hold of it, that becomes that kind of residual income coming in, where if a charity has a bequesting program or people are leaving that charity money as part of their bequests, then over time, people like Macmillan and other charities out there in the mainstream, they actually end up generating about a third of their entire annual budget from the income that they get from their bequesting programs and other charities, like I mentioned, the Church of England, they get it from their estates and the and the assets that they have. So there are very, very good solutions out there. It's going to be a bit tough to achieve uh, and it's going to require a bit of pain uh, over the first you know, two, three years for those organizations. But once that's achieved, it means that we as a community with those kind of institutions will be much better set up for the future. And then the final thing really that I wanted to say before I wrap up is verse 9. Let the guardians be as concerned for the orphans as they would be if they were to die and leave their own helpless children behind. So let them be mindful of Allah and speak equitably. Actually, let me join that up with the next verse. Indeed, those who unjustly consume orphans' wealth, in fact, consume nothing but fire into their bellies, and they will be burned in a blazing hell. So really the final point is that, you know, the inheritance and dying for Muslims is this liminal state where you are between the the dunya and the akhirah. This is the gateway into your next life. This is a gateway into the way that you will be going forwards. And at that very point, you want to be the best version of yourself. You definitely don't want to be the the worst version of yourself. And unfortunately, in these moments of dying and in these moments of inheritance, what can often happen is it brings out the worst of people. Um, And even the person dying, if he's made an unjust will, it will be um, something that, you know, he will be held accountable for if it goes against the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in both situations, if you are someone who is making a will, make sure that it is a just will. And obviously, you know, we do work with IFG and we do we do wills works. We see and we interact with people who are making wills. And most of the, alhamdulillah, most of the people that come to us is because they want to make an Islamic will. But even there, some people are keen sometimes to cut out certain members of the family. You know, this is not uh, something that you have a right to decide upon because once you die, that wealth is no longer yours. It's the wealth of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do with as he wills and so you know what Allah wants uh, in the sharia is what should happen to that wealth and what Allah wants is uh, is what is just um, so for the person who is you know making the will they should make sure that justice is at the heart of what they do and for the person who is presiding over the will as a trustee or executor or has significant say over what happens to the estate 
then you need to be incredibly careful about doing an injustice, particularly to those who don't have a voice, particularly to those who don't have a seat at the table, you know, particularly the, to those who are perhaps underage, who don't understand the legal structure as well as you do, who are maybe not as sophisticated as you, who aren't you know, well advised as you might be from a tax or inheritance or whatever perspective. It's our duty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, you know, to look after those people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to the executors and trustees and to the powerful ones to say that the metric that you need to be holding yourself to is imagine those weak people were your offspring and, you know, people that you dearly care about. What would be the standard that you would expect from someone else when treating them? With that, let me wrap up. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he makes us from amongst those who are just in our dealings and from amongst those who are well prepared for um, for the hereafter and well prepared for our death. Um, and قولوا قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم فاستغفروا إنه هو الغفور الرحيم. Jazakallah khair everyone for, for, for tuning in. If there are any uh, comments or questions either on the Telegram or I'm experimenting today with going live on Instagram as well, then feel free to uh, jump in on, you know, share your thoughts or share your comments or questions. Um, happy to try and uh, give some color. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.